Today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad. As scripture says, one reason God doesn't just come back and judge all evil is that he's allowing people time to repent, that he has a plan for salvation for many people in many places, in many countries, across many ages, and he is working that plan and he will not leave his people behind. That's one thing. That's just one thing we know about why he would delay, according to scripture. But there are other reasons, friends, that we do not know, and one day in eternity we may. But we do know this, that God works on a different timetable. He works an eternal plan. And third, that God is ultimately just. Hope in God, oh my soul, He is strong and He is strong to save. Hope in God, He's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. It can definitely be vexing to observe injustices being done around us. And it's hard not to get frustrated with God in those regards. We want justice meted out, and we want it done now. At those times, it's best to listen to Pastor Ricky. He'll be teaching about the importance of our submitting such frustrations over to God, and understanding that his timing will always be perfect. He also is the only just judge, because he knows all of the circumstances as well as the heart of those involved. Let's join Pastor Ricky now for part three of his message, Perfect Justice in God's Timing. Every single thing that Haman does in the first half of the book comes exactly back on his head in the second half of the book. Every hate-filled action that he takes is returned on his own head precisely down to the irony of these giant gallows, him being hung on them, down to the irony of him stepping on people like Mordecai, pushing him out of their way, ingratiating himself to the king because of his money and working his way through the ranks. All of that is stripped away. He's laid bare. He's ashamed. And all of that goes to his enemy, one of God's people. What does that tell us? What it tells us is that someone is keeping score. Someone somewhere has a ledger. And on that ledger, things are being marked down that will be repaid. God's ledger is balanced in the book of Esther. This evil is returned. And the thing that I think is just so ironic is that just a few hours earlier, a couple chapters earlier, he is boasting about how great he is. He is boasting about how wonderful he is, about how much influence he has, about how many resources he has. And then in a moment, judgment comes. What does this mean for us? Well, it means this, that injustice really will be ultimately judged. No one will get away, friends, with anything. A ledger is being kept not by a fallen or unstable human king, but by the God of the universe. That's what we learn about injustice. But second question then, what do we learn about God? We learn that Haman is not sovereign, that Xerxes or King Hashuerus is not sovereign, that ultimately only God is sovereign. There's this ongoing joke in the book of Esther that the king never does anything on his own. He's constantly like a puppet in the hands of the people around him. He's constantly getting manipulated in the first chapter by his wife before Esther. She dishonors him and then he kind of goes to his friends and it's like, well, what do you think we should do? And they think, okay, look, if the queen gets away with this, our wives are gonna be crazy and think they can do this to us. So here's what you do, king. And so Haman manipulates him into doing these things. Everybody is constantly manipulated 
manipulating the king. And, and one of the ironies of the book of Esther is it takes this great ruler, King Xerxes, and it makes him a laughingstock by showing that he's just being pushed and pulled around by everyone around him. And what we're meant to see is that that guy is not sovereign. Somebody above him is sovereign. And somebody above him is pulling all of the puppet strings for the characters in this story. People can manipulate with words and try to shade things a certain way, but God is the only one that can wake this king up in the middle of the night and make him turn to the weirdest thing possible, which is reading the royal records and have him read the exact thing at the right time to turn his heart to save the people of God. God is the one pulling King Xerxes' strings. So what does this mean? It means that God is sovereign. Christian, here's what you need to hear right now. Your destiny is ultimately in the hands of God. It is not in the hands of fate or chance. It is not in the hands of injustice. God is the one ruling and reigning over your story and over your life. We do this thing sometimes where we believe in God's sovereignty in church. When we're singing a song, when the band's going, it's like easy to believe in the sovereignty of God. Like the Lord reigns and we're like, yes. And like sometimes the electric guitar just helps me believe it, right? The Lord reigns or maybe when we're praying or maybe when we're reading a devotional or maybe when everybody in our community group is around us praying for us. Yes, the Lord is sovereign and yet During that week, we find ourselves, we feel like way far away from that, in the middle of nowhere, struggling, and it's much harder to believe, right? And one of the things that the book of Esther, I think, does for us and for the people of God is it's God reminding his people that even there, in the middle of the Persian Empire, miles and miles away from Jerusalem, far, far away from the land that God promised to be with his people, he is still there. The people of God probably began to think, well, God, maybe he's back there. Maybe he's back there in Jerusalem, but not out here where we're living right now. And then listen, anywhere God's people are, he is there with them. God is sovereign and he holds the fate of his people in his hands. Second, we learn that God works an eternal plan. If you just pause the story at any point in the first half of the book, you would think that God is failing at his job but it's not true. Why is it not true? Because God just had a different timetable than we do, than we would looking at the book. See, God is eternal. God works on an eternal timetable. Psalm 90 says this, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. Isaiah 45 says this, for I am God and there is no other declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying this, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. What does that mean? It means that God has a plan. He has a plan from the beginning for his people and for the world. And he says, listen, my counsel will stand. The things that I have purpose to do will happen But kind of the caveat, the asterisk for that is that God does not work according to our timetable. Many times we want that. We're like, look, Lord, I can hold out for another week, but that is it. So if you're going to do something and show up, you got like till the 13th or something. The Lord does not work on that timetable. Scripture says that God is not slow as some count slowness. But instead, he has 
a purpose and a plan for why he delays. If God delays, it is not because he's being pushed by outside forces. It's because he has a plan, as Romans 8, 28 says, for our good and for his glory. As scripture says, one reason God doesn't just come back and judge all evil is that he's allowing people time to repent, that he has a plan for salvation for many people in many places and many countries across many ages, and he is working that plan and he will not leave his people behind. That's one thing. That's just one thing we know about why he would delay according to scripture. But there are other reasons, friends, that we do not know. And one day in eternity, we may, but we do know this, that God works on a different timetable. He works an eternal plan. And Third, that God is ultimately just. One of the things that scripture emphasizes over and over again is that God is just. Here's the thing about our generation, I think in particular, is that we miss one of the most beautiful aspects of God's character because we don't want a God that's like judgy and stuff. We're the generation of like, you don't judge my life, man. You're like, you stay in your own business. And so for God to be the just judge feels a little like, whoa, whoa, back off. And yet, every time we say, that's not fair, what are we saying? We're saying that somewhere there's an objective right and an objective wrong and that justice was not done, that injustice was allowed to continue. And we're pointing at it and saying, that should be set right. And that, friends, that longing in our hearts is what God himself answers. See, God put that in our hearts. We're made in his image, which includes a moral component to it. And even though we're fallen and sinful and Romans says that our minds are darkened, that we can't see things as we ought, we can still see the big outlines, I believe, of right and wrong and justice in many cases. When we see something on the news where somebody is murdered, or somebody is raped, when we see child soldiers who are kidnapped and brainwashed and meant to fight and die for some brutal warlord, when even a family member hurts us deeply and gets away with it, there's something in our hearts that says, that's not fair. And the Lord says, that's right. That's right. Deuteronomy 32.4 says, all God's ways are justice a God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and right is he. Meaning that God's very character is itself the definition of justice. There is no iniquity, no sin, no evil, no injustice in him. Everything he does is right. Here's what this means, friends. If God is sovereign and he is just, God will settle every score in the end No one will get away with anything, nothing. But if God is sovereign and just and works according to an eternal timetable, then it is true that some of that justice may not be apparent this week. It may not be apparent this month or this year or friends, even this lifetime. But what it does mean is this, that in eternity, No one will look back on this life and accuse God of being unjust. He is sovereign and he is just and he will put every wrong right. Now, if you're thinking this through, this should make you a little uncomfortable. Perfect justice should make us a little uncomfortable. 
We're uncomfortable, but maybe with the fact that the Jews are given permission to wipe out a bunch of people, but these people are people attacking them. This is a theme in the Old Testament that justice comes in like a searing, burning way that makes us a little uncomfortable. God brings justice swiftly and powerfully to his enemies. God brings justice even to his own people. Where We see stories in the Old Testament like God's people sin and the ground swallows them up and we're like, whoa. Karen Jobs, one of the commentators says this, we seem to want God to destroy sin and evil but leave people alone. However... Sin and evil do not exist apart from beings who sin and beings who do evil. The problem is with us in humanity. We're uncomfortable, but but we have to remember that God is perfectly holy and perfectly just, and he sees every heart, and no one gets destruction that does not deserve it. But it also reveals that God's standard for justice and holiness is very different from ours. Ours, as I said, is kind of warped and shaded by being part of the sinful world, but God, on the outside looking in, perfectly holy, perfectly just, without iniquity, sees us to our core. So, section three, and the last section is this, what we learn about ourselves. What do we learn about ourselves? If all that is true about God, we need to learn some things about ourselves. If all that is real, then the question should be, well, then how can any of us survive God's justice then? If he is keeping a ledger somewhere, marking down every time that we have sinned, and and what is sin? Well, sin is not obeying his command to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Sin is summed up famously in the Ten Commandments. And listen, guys, if we just took time today and tried to run through the Ten Commandments and go like, okay, how are we doing with the Ten Commandments? We'd probably be good about some, like we didn't murder anyone this week. At least I hope not. If you did, then we need to have a different conversation after this message. But we'd be going, okay, yeah, well, that's good. I'm doing good this week. And then Jesus kind of says, okay, but remember he sees your heart though. Remember that in your heart, when you see that person and you think, I wish I could just kill them, really, the Lord sees it. See, it didn't come out into the world, but it came out in your heart, and the Lord can see it quickly and easily. And so you think, okay, well, maybe, maybe, not, maybe let's not do that one. What about not stealing? Okay, I didn't steal. Really? You've never stolen credit that wasn't yours? You've never stolen somebody's boyfriend or girlfriend? You've never stolen a promotion? Even if you've never done that, have you wanted to do it? Have you envied somebody? Have you said, oh, I can't believe they have that and I don't. But you start working, and that's not loving your neighbor as yourself, right? You should be like, that's great. I'm glad that my neighbor has that. No, we don't do that. So we work our way through the 10 commandments and what we see is that nobody measures up to God's standard of justice and holiness. Romans three says that no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands, no one seeks after God. There's a part of our hearts that we put up to the line of justice and we're like, okay, I should be close, right? And we bring all of our good deeds and then we bring all of our bad deeds and you're like, why is that pile bigger? but like, okay, just put that aside for a minute. And then we get this and we think I should be close, right? And we look up and we realize we're standing in the Grand Canyon. See, how can any of us survive? Why then would God even be kind to his people? Listen, Esther and Mordecai themselves have wronged God in a sense. Esther has totally abandoned the entire law of God and married a pagan king. And she's so compromised that the king does not even know that she's Jewish. What this means is she's not like sneaking off her prayer. Mordecai's the one that told her to do it. And yet these people are being saved and preserved. Why? How is this somehow measuring out in the leisure of God? Well, 
According to this, Romans 3, 25 to 26 says this, that Jesus was sent to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous and that he justifies him who has faith in Jesus. Now let's break this down for a second. So God's righteousness was always intact, but in his divine forbearance, he passed over some sins. Well, how could he do that? Wouldn't he have to set the ledger right? Yes, he would. It was to prove that at the present time, he himself is righteous and that he makes righteous anyone who has faith in Jesus. How was that possible? Well, the apostle Peter says that Jesus was sent from God, the righteous for the unrighteous. Righteous. What this means about Jesus is that God in the Old Testament passes over his sins of his people because he knows that one day Jesus would be sent. Because he knows that one day Jesus would take our ledger on himself so that all of its demerits could be wiped clean and all of his righteousness could go to us. In an amazing way, listen, it is like Mordecai who messed up and yet at the end of the story finds that all of the righteousness and good things and riches and wealth of another are suddenly transferred to his bank account and he's wearing a robe of righteousness and he's standing before the king. See, foreshadowed in the book of Esther is this great reversal and the hinge is the sinless son of God. What it means is this, friends, is that when God pulls up our ledger, he no longer goes line by line through our teenage years and our 20s and whatever else and sees every sin, every wicked deed. Instead, he sees stamped on it with the blood of Christ, paid in full. And we flip at the end and we see, I didn't earn any of these things. And he says, oh yes, those are coming your way. Riches and glory and life eternal are coming your way. And you say, I did not earn this. He says, oh, but Christ did. We're given a brand new ledger, friends. Here's what this means. If you're not a Christian, I want you to hear the good news of Jesus today, that today you can walk out of here with a different ledger than you walked in with. I think it's hard because it starts with humility. It starts with recognizing, look, flipping through your ledger, you may may have like made some notes where it makes you feel better about what's there. But if you take that before the sinless God of the universe, you will be condemned. But there is another option (laughs) because Jesus' ledger is free for the taking. That's what it says, that he justifies him who lives a lifetime of good deeds. No, justifies him who finally goes back and makes everything right. No, he justifies him who believes with a strong enough belief. No, anyone, it justifies him who just has faith in Jesus. Your ledger today could change like that, and I would encourage you, repent and believe and get in on this while the getting is good. Very briefly, in light of this, what do we do? Three brief reflections here at the end. First, in light of all this, we trust God to bring justice. Um, Rather than allowing the world to grind us down or leave us in despair, we look ahead. We remember that God will set everything right in eternity. Friends, here's the reality. Every wound of ours will be healed. Everyone that's hurt us will meet justice one way or another. And every one of our good deeds that's overlooked in this life will be seen and rewarded. In the light of that, we should be the happiest people on the earth. 
Like, okay, judge got away with it, age seven. It's okay in light of all of eternity and what I deserved and where I'm going. I'm like, look, I'm just gonna leave all that stuff to God. That family member that wronged me, I'm gonna leave that to the Lord. That promotion that was supposed to be mine, I'm gonna leave that to the Lord. I'm just not gonna eat me for the rest of my life because I know where I'm going. We'll trust God. Second, we refuse vengeance and we show mercy. Romans 12, 19, this side of the cross says this, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. That is a powerful statement. He says, don't you go and take revenge because listen, if that person does not repent, far worse than you could do will fall on them for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, this is how we're gonna act. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. Why? Because we were starving and he fed us. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Why? Because we were dying and he gave us a river of living water. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, meaning don't be overwhelmed, but instead overcome evil with good. What this means is we're never to pursue vengeance, but instead we're going to be quick to show mercy. This is the reality. Either that person will get what they deserve or they will get Jesus. So even our worst enemies, we should be quick to say, take Jesus. I don't know how I got in on this and I know you wronged me, but here's the reality. You can get in on this too. I was shown unbelievable mercy. You can be shown the same mercy too. Third and last, in light of Christ, we act justly. This is very brief, but if God is sovereign, If he sees everything, we should act justly, shouldn't we? If God works on a long timetable, we can't assume that we're going to get away with stuff. Even in the lives of his children, God does bring discipline. There are seasons of discipline to help us turn away from sin. We don't want that, right? And we shouldn't assume, like, oh, I've gotten away with it for a week or a month or a year, that nothing's coming. We also should not assume that I'm sowing to righteousness, I'm acting justly, and it seems like I'm getting nothing. No, we remember that God is operating on a different timetable. And so any of us in a position to act justly, to do justice, to, that means parents and employers and leaders and military officers and anybody on a jury and anybody transacting any business with any person anywhere, what should we do? We should act justly, act justly and show mercy. There's a couple categories of people that came to mind. I just want to encourage you to go to the Lord in prayer. First is anyone that may not have trusted Christ for their salvation. This really is a moment with you and the Lord that you really can have faith in Jesus and receive a different ledger. And you can do that. The second category that came to mind is those who deep hurts have been dogging them for a number of years. And you feel the injustice of something that's been done to you. And I believe today the Lord wants to free you of that. I believe the Lord wants you to put that in his hands and trust that he, in his perfect, matchless way, that he really will take care of it. So much more to discover in this God of Chance series, but that's all we have time for on today's edition of Better News Radio. If you'd like to hear today's message again, or if you'd like to find more teachings by Pastor Ricky, visit our website at betternewsradio.com. If you'd like a full-length CD version of today's teaching, you can order one by emailing us. 
at radio at betternewsradio.com. We're so glad that we can bring you God's Word through the ministry of Better News Radio. And we want you to know that we're praying for you always. We want to encourage you. If you haven't done so already, find a good Bible teaching church to become a part of. By joining a church, you gain a support group of fellow believers who put God's love into practice and can help you grow in your own relationship with your Creator. You too can contribute in your own unique way as well. And together, the body of Christ will reach many with the good news of the gospel. If you're in the El Paso area, we would love to have you come see us in person at Cross of Grace Church. We meet every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. to worship God and hear what He has to teach us through His Word. Find out more under the Community tab at betternewsradio.com. If you're not in El Paso, there's also some great resources to help you find a great church in your area. Thanks for listening to Pastor Ricky's message today from the God of Chance series. He'll have more to share next time right here on Better News Radio. Oh, my soul.